0: welcome to the reinventing education podcast i'm rob mcleod this is a podcast for teachers students and parents who are interested in reinventing education we here on the podcast we believe the current state of education is a tug of war between three different values three very different perspectives about what education should be three very different visions about how to best prepare people for the workforce citizenry, and a mature sense of self. We've dubbed these three values, self-discipline, ambition, and sensitivity. We believe we're seeing a new value emerge on the fringes of education. We're dubbing that new value, development. The development value sees what each of these previous three values has to offer, takes the best and discards their unhelpful baggage. This podcast is currently dedicated to speaking with those who are on this cutting edge of educational evolution, hearing about their practices, and together, working to reinvent what we call education. Over our last six episodes, we have interviewed people that we see as being on the cutting edge of education, people that Bren and I believe are helping to articulate what this new form of education we are calling development could look like. So on today's episode, we'd like to look back at the common themes that emerged across these six discussions and highlight some characteristics of this new value in education called development. Now, if you're a fan of integral theory, spiral dynamics, or the work of Frederick Laloux, think of the development value as yellow, integral, or teal. First, let's just do a quick reminder of who we spoke to over these last six episodes. We spoke with Chris Baum of the Millennium School, a middle school in San Francisco, with Armin Sieber of the Integralis Tagesschule in Winterthur, a high school in Switzerland. We spoke with Tryon, Anna, and Corina of the Alternative University, a self-directed learning culture in Romania. We spoke with Integral Education Consultant Silke Weiss from Germany, Educational Leader Katerina Yasko from Ukraine, and Joran Oppelt, a parent involved in the unschooling approach in Florida. Now, each of these interviews helped highlight the beliefs, cultural norms, practices, and systems involved in this emerging approach to education. If you've not heard these interviews, you're welcome to go back and listen to them on iTunes or Podbean, or just Google us at Reinventing Education Podcast, and you'll find us in the first result that pops up. Brendan O'Leary, the other host of the show who will join us in just a moment, helped summarize and categorize the themes across these six interviews now, in this episode today, we will dig deeper into each theme and try to connect the dots between these discussions to help better articulate the development value in education as it's emerging in real time. The six common themes we found were human growth, what school is and could be, learning, teachers, parental community, and the life-school connection. Now, these six themes are not revolutionary. Of course, we've often talked about these six themes throughout the history of education, but today we're going to look at them in a slightly more nuanced way and discuss some topics around these six themes that don't normally get discussed. I'm just going to go back through those six again. Part A being human growth and development, we're going to talk about both development and the importance of childhood and adolescent development. Part B, what school is and could be. We're going to focus in today on the beliefs on what school is, how school is responsive to community and learner needs, and leadership becoming more horizontal within the developmental model. We'll also discuss learning, beliefs about learners, some new beliefs at the developmental value, what curriculum looks like, learning paths, the processes and models of learning, and talk about the difference between agency and differentiation. We'll discuss assessments and the actual learning spaces, the classrooms and where the learning happens. Under the theme of teachers, the changing role of the quote-unquote teacher at this developmental level of education, as well as the teacher as an authentic human, stepping away from the role that they've had Under parental community, we'll look at the family, home, school, home connections, the education of parents and parents seeing changes in their children. And finally, under the life-school connection, we'll look at links to the work and adult world and perhaps explore the at times illusionary boundary between school and the quote-unquote real world around it brendan and i are unpacking these themes and making connections in real time wish us luck as we reflect on our six interviews and discuss these six categories that emerged from them brendan o'leary rob mcleod i don't know what's about to happen in our discussion there's this is ambitious there's a lot we're going to try and get into uh By going back through six incredibly rich conversations, close to seven and a half, eight hours Mm. of conversation with people on what I would call the leading edge of education right now. And we're going to try to connect the dots um, and highlight themes that came out of all those conversations. Most of these people, one or two of them kind of know each other, but we're sort of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, where we've. Connected people who are essentially in a tribe or a scene, but don't necessarily know each other, talk with each other, and we're going to try and synthesize what they have in common together.
1: Easy task. Easy task. And I I appreciate you setting up these interviews, and you have acted as kind of a a fact finder and a seeker who brought kind of these people to my attention. So, and you know, just hearing people who are doing this stuff day in, day out, of course we have our own educational backgrounds, but these guys, as you say, they're on the kind of developmental edge, these kind of developmental schools that we've talked so much about. They're actually aiming to live that. And um, it was, it was really, really rewarding just to to speak to those guys, and then listening back to the interviews, prepping for this kind of discussion. Just like, you know, when you're in the moment and you're trying to interview somebody, and then you listen back to what they actually said, with a little more clarity, it's like, wow, some of this stuff is just broadened my horizons of what can and is already happening.
0: Yeah, these these six discussions have been really good PD, really good professional development for me yeah. to take some things from the actual practices these folks have been doing, but also just to reflect on what I'm doing and juxtapose it or compare it with, with what we're seeing in these developmental schools. So you and I, we, we're we kind of giving ourselves the challenge that we've got these kind of six or seven Categories of human growth, the school, students, teachers, parent community, and the kind of life school connection. And we're going to go through each, and we've kind of you've helped to create excellent subcategories within each one. And we've kind of given ourselves the challenge that we'll try our best to, in a sentence, summarize what the development version of education uh how it sees these things let me go back and try that one again we're going to use the sentence then development education sees and then we'll talk about one of our subcategories as this as our challenge to summarize what we've seen so for example development education sees assessment as this or sees teachers as this or sees the school as this.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's quite a challenge in itself with so much information, this kind of synthesis. However, as we've talked about before, the, the thing is when you get to the developmental school, by its nature, there's not a one size fits all. And so we're just going to have to throw some suggestions of what it could be. And then again, that sets us up for more conversations about the the ins and outs of what that man looked like day to day. So um, one thing before we jump into it, teachers, myself included and people within education, we have a tendency to say we're already doing that. You know, and I hold my hands up. I, I say it as much as, as I hear it, but we're already do, doing that. And so, with a lot of these things at first glance it might look like we are doing some of these things in a school that's not developmentally minded such as a self-discipline or an ambition-led school or particularly in a sensitivity school which is the closest i guess to a developmental school in many ways but the context is really important of how it's being done and how it fits into everything else and more than that something that we'll get to in the very first part here the the underlying goal of human development or self-development being at the core which it isn't in the other uh kind of paradigms of school so if, if it looks like oh we're already doing that i think we have to stop for a second and say are we doing it in the same way for the same reasons and in a way that, has, that, that gives similar effects.
0: I think that's the nuance right there. We might be doing things that look similar, but we might not be doing them for the same reasons. Because yeah. two people can do the same action and have completely different reasons behind it. And I think this is a nuance that we'll see through it, our discussion today.
1: So should we okay. launch into human growth and development? Human growth, self-development. So, actually, although everybody in the interviews touched on it, it was um, Silke brought it kind of front and centre, and Chris at the Millennium School, I think, spoke a lot about adolescent development. So, if we just go back to the just the bit, the really big picture of human development. Obviously, you've you met most of these educators through your integral theory kind of circles. And so they're already coming from this idea that there is, that humans develop through stages and each stage is another level of complexity. So that's a through line that goes through every single interview that everybody kind of agrees or is on board with this idea that there are steps which. we've already defined in our in our earlier podcast through the self discipline ambition sensitivity valued schools um did you want to speak something uh, on this
0: well this is at the core of the developmental paradigm of education because it's literally saying yes there are stages of complexity in human development and I think we, I don't think this is controversial when we talk about children. For example, Piaget's work, although there's some, you know, debate over the specifics of his stuff, most people accept the idea that, oh, yeah, of course, a three year old sees the world different than an eight year old versus a 15 year old. And there are, you know, skills of complexity that come online over time. Yeah. That seems relatively. Not controversial when we're discussing children, but what's often missing in our larger societal context is the idea of like, yeah, but once you hit 18, 20, then it levels off. And whether you're into integral theory or whether you're someone who's drawn towards a, devel- a developmental mindset in education, you get drawn to you know, the plethora of models that are out there to talk about stages of adult Development as well. Uh And I think the developmental approaches to school say, hey, we've got these kids between, let's say, five to 18 or five to 25, potentially. How can we ensure they're developing in a healthy manner through the stages they go through now in order to support continued development after school? And Chris Baum touched on that. He said, if something to the effect of, if we don't get adolescence right, People can spend the rest of their life until their end of their days in their seventies, eighties, nineties, till they're hundred, still operating in an adolescent stage of development.
1: Um, And what do you mean there by an adolescent stage of development? In in, just in your mind, though, what were you? How would you define that? Well,
0: this is where you could jump to any specific model. So, you know, if you're into Integral theory, or just human development in general, you know, I can think of a dozen different models off the top of my head. Spiral dynamics, which we've kind of used as a developmental model to inform our stages of schooling, Um, but there's other models like Kohlberg's stages of moral development. There's um, Suzanne Cook-Greuter's fantastic work. There's uh, Terry O'Fallon and the stages model. There's. It depends what system of measurement you want to use what kind of ruler you want to use um but what i mean by an adolescent stage of development might be a still uh societal centric way of yeah. being in the world still influenced more by your peers in society than making that break into more individualized um pursuits and ways of being in the world think of it i guess the way to think of it is like an operating system itunes gets you know updated every couple of weeks so that it's a little more complex and better than it used to be and human beings can be the same but typically our stages of development last over a few years on average yeah Or Uh, well
1: our stages of development will were evolving slowly and gradually over time, digitally, unlike Apple, which is updated in an analog fashion, ironically, but, you know, step by step. But the way Chris broke it down, and, you know, I did a little bit of research based around that, and I think this is pretty, you know, kind of standard, Literally accepted stages of adolescent development so you the first stage that we get the kids that we're teaching the upper end of our primary years they are seeking belonging so and that's um that does kind of fit somewhat into the self-discipline um kind of model where gold stars and and a pat on the head is what a lot of kind of students are kind of looking for to be good good boys and girls and there's a lot of positives within that, but as you as they hit kind of middle as adolescents your thirteens fourteens fifteens, and so on, the idea then comes in that there's a pecking order a little more, and that your peers are more important than maybe your 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 family and other people outside of that group and 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 you're seeking this achievement and seeking a way to impress others and of course that matches our kind of um our ambition model that that we kind of talk about. And so those kids are, you know, middle school kids, essentially. And then what Chris is aiming to do as they pass through middle school, I guess, is to move them to that stage three of adolescence, which is the beginning of adulthood, where there's some authenticity, um, maybe some more um, conscious decision-making, uh, as in... Consciously knowing your values, which is something Silke kind of pointed, uh, spent some time on, it, of of consciously knowing your own values and making your own decisions with um, with with a meaning behind them, unless impulsivity or outwardly uh, seeking external goals. What's um,
0: really important here is. At the development stage of education, I think it's a given that you're developing your practices, you're developing your community and your systems, acknowledging that there are stages of development. And I don't think it matters what model or what measuring stick you use, but that's at the core of it. So I'd almost reverse the question and ask what are the problems that arise when you don't have a developmental stage model in mind in schools? Mm -hmm. And I think what we see is a lot of well-intended, well, let's just do everything all at once. We know that at different stages, belonging to the group is important. We know that having your own, carving out your own path is important. Getting in touch with your values is important. But rather than nurture it when it's naturally coming online and fostering what's arising in that stage of development, it's kind of like we maybe press what's important to all stages of development all at once at the same time and really try to push that belonging, that independence, that getting straight with yourself. And maybe that is still helpful. But maybe that smorgasbord and putting everything at once um, isn't maybe the most skillful means of how to best um, serve development. And and just to be clear, I don't know if I can explain specifically what I mean about serve development, but I think it's kind of like be present to what is and what the needs for growth are now. Not because you need to rush someone through it, but rather to just actually be respectful and responsive to where a human is at and what their experience and what their meaning making within the world is.
1: Okay, let's take a minute just to look at that one because, yeah, we've dug right into the core of these developmental schools that they uh, um, work on the principle, and we'll come to this when we go to how schools are organized developmental schools generally they work on the principle that what's happening right now and the needs that are arising or that are popping up in you internally and around you right now are the ones that you should spend the time and the energy working on and the way it's described within school is just in time teaching versus just in case teaching Um, yeah, explain the difference between those two. Okay, so just-in-time teaching would be we're in a classroom and some question or some emotional issue pops up. That kind of takes precedence over the other things so that we can address those those wants, those needs emotionally and also academically. You know, that opens up a lot of freedom. And again, we'll, we'll dig into that more when we get into How teaching and learning looks within these schools, but obviously, if you're responsive to what's happening within your classroom or within your life, you have much more freedom and flexibility in what you do, and there's potentially more immediate meaning. The other side is just in case teaching, meaning we kind of know what you're going to need in six months, one year, two years, ten years, and we're going to prepare you for that like obviously there are things that we do know that humans will need and preparation is key so the 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 developmental mindset could well i guess this is my question because the the Controversial idea here is that the just-in-time teaching or living is more important than the just-in-case. And in a traditional school, the just-in-case takes almost the other end of the spectrum. So what's your take on the kind of balance in life? Not so maybe so much in the classroom yet, but just in life with these developmental um, kind of circle that you work with what is the balance well i'd
0: I'd first go to addressing maybe what's um an assumption at those first three stages of the self-discipline ambition and sensitivity is i think they do see school much more as a means to an end like you say you're doing this now because the payoff comes later particularly in the ambition system. I see this popping up in conversations I'm having with 17, 18 year olds in the high school I'm working in right now. And they're basically saying this sucks right now, but the payoff's coming. It's even, it even pops up in the grade seven class that I'm teaching in. They say like, yeah, I'm not really enjoying this, but I know if I get good grades now later, this good thing's coming. So there is a bit of that carrot on the stick, like, well, I'm doing this now because the the benefits aren't now. The benefits come later. And I think by sensitivity, you start to at least attempt a balance. Sensitivity is saying, yeah. what's going on for you now is important, and we want to make sure that the projects we're doing in class do have personal relevance to you now. And we're also using these marks for down the road. The development approach to school, I think, shifts that barrier even more to know what's arising now is the most important thing to address now. Because if we get this, I don't want to use the word right, but it's the only word that's coming to my mind right now. If we can get this right now, you will be healthier. You may have less Mm. problems
1: down the road ah that doesn't feel right saying it it is a controversial issue it is a sticking point and it's a sticking point for me as well when i'm living working the 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 the, the short-term rewards the long-term rewards the the prep versus the response and i don't think until you put it in a context there's an answer so we're talking up in the clouds here, of course, and everybody knows you can either deal with the problems you've got right now or you can work on bigger skills that will you know, help you in the future. And you're looking for some kind of magical balance of those. And it's like it, the thing about when you get to the developmental school, it acknowledges that and it puts it in a context. So I think until you've actually got a context like, okay, I'm actually in a classroom right now. And we're beginning to talk about um, the hero's journey and doing and narrative stories, but what themes are arising within that. And then maybe there's something that pops up to, in left field that's kind of like, oh, okay, maybe we want to spend some time on this. And then we move back into that bigger picture that I know is going on there in the background. So it's kind of that, again, I'm putting it in a classroom context, but but there, it's... It's having that response to, right now, I am making the decision in the moment, but I'm deciding to do something that has a long, longer-term goal.
0: Yes, and perhaps there's a shift in the sense of self. So in those previous three stages, there's this kind of idea of like, I am the person who's doing the thing so that I get the benefit later. I don't think a student in the developmental schools would word it this way, but I think the mindset the teachers are coming from is, yeah, that's partly true, but the you that gets the thing 10 years from now, 15 years from now, is a different you, potentially. And you are actually the thing that navigates through those changes, Yes, you are you at six years of age right now with your set of mental and social complexities and your current ability to meaning make. But the thing that will get the job (laughs) in 20 years from now isn't this. It will be a different complex constellation of things. And what is the constant from six to 25 to any age arbitrarily is the thing that navigates those transformations over time. Whoa, that's.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, it's like, hey, let's start off with the easy one human development, the very core of everything that we do. All right. So. But, but hold on. I, I think there, it,
0: there is the desire to like laugh that off, and I even wanted to make a joke. No, like, I'm not this laughing. Is, no, I'm this is just water I'm drinking right now. Yeah. But. I think this is why this topic continuously is so juicy to me because any time we talk about school it's the embodied answer to how should a human being live this is like we don't talk about school on this level but this is the thing is we're saying how should a child spend a large portion of their life from ages 4 through 18 this is how we think they should spend their time and during that we are training them to take on these values this sense of self so our kind of three go to topics of like we're getting ready getting you ready for the next stage of school or for the job market we're getting you ready and customed into our culture and we're sort of establishing the sense of self-development that we want to see present in the world. Our school is literally our social cultural incubator. This is the thing that's answering a huge part of our of the question of how should a human be in the world? But the I very think...
1: Go ahead. Oh okay. the, the very that mindset that you de- you clearly share with the uh, with the people we interviewed is the kind of core of this if you that's why i said at the beginning you might say oh we're doing this already but if it's not being done with that mindset that which is why i'm i'm getting to the point where i think we should now try and do our first summing up of this section so we can move on And I think the attempt now is to, in a sentence or two, summarize what we've said in the context of developmental schools. And hopefully that'll bring some clarity to the fact that it's only by operating in that mindset that all the parts of school begin to do what you want them to do and do things in a different way than the sensitivity school, and so on. That's yes. not my summary. That's yes. the setup for that's the <laughs> setup for the summary, <laughs> right? Rob, go for it. Summarize that. Summarize what we've just said. A developmental school looks at human
0: development as the lens through which our practices, cultures, and systems are influenced or shaped. The developmental school system sees stages of human development as a given and therefore uses them as a cornerstone for informing the practices that answer our question, how should a human being live?
1: Okay, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take up that. I'll take up that gambit. Okay, so the practitioners of developmental schools, in and around developmental schools, operate from a mindset or a no mindset operate from a mindset that there are stages of development within humans and by having a clear view of what those stages look like you can organize a, an institution and a set of practices to put those um, to Nurture and guide students through those steps. And what Chris said here, I'm going to press pause on my summary to say what Chris said again, which is uh, you said this before. An adolescent or a child will will keep developing through these stages of, of um, through these stages, and they will stop at the point that the culture around them and the people around them are at. The kind of average. So, if you are in center ambition, center of gravity. Led, center of gravity is the term you've used before. So, if you are in an ambition-led kind of system, that's where you're going to end your development. Um, this does bring us to that kind of controversial term, controversial idea that one is after another, or one is better than another. Do you want to just talk about that? I've now abandoned my attempt to summarize. <laughs> I think we kind of got it.
0: Let, go ahead. No, finish your summary because I yeah. want to address that and the idea of, I can already hear in my head, a few people who'd be like, yeah, we're doing that. So okay. I'd, I'd like to again. address the importance of picking apart this developmental stages as being better and people who might say we're already doing it, but finish your summary for Okay.
1: Don't edit this out because this is gold. (laughs) Okay. Um, Practitioners of a developmental school work from the mindset or a set of beliefs that humans have stages of development and they aim to set up an institution with practices that will guide and nurture students through these stages of development uh, to the highest stage that they can possibly get to. I think that's the that's the big picture that I as I see it right now. So back to you. So first thing,
0: the potential controversy over of of talking about certain stages being better than others, because I I feel my shoulders clench up a bit like we're not Scientologists. This isn't some crazy like pyramid (laughs) scheme of like we gotta rush people up stages. And the other thing that comes up is the obvious potential for people to Use a sense of superiority or less dangerous is the superiority, more is the like denigrating of people at lower stages. Clearly, this is a potential minefield, obviously. A few years ago, a friend of mine asked me about the importance of these stages of development. And he said, like, but ultimately, why does it matter if you develop or not? And somebody who maybe has like a worldview or metaphysics around, you know, a certain set of spiritual beliefs might like, oh, we're unfolding this or that. That's not where I come from on this. I try to strip it back one stage further where I'm like, well, regardless of your metaphysical beliefs or how you think this whole thing is set up, later stages of development allow you to suffer less in unnecessary ways. Typically, one of the downfalls of earlier, less complex stages of development is that, let me preface this by saying, every stage has its benefits and its drawbacks, and every stage has suffering at it, but likely suffering for different reasons. So. My answer to my friend when he said, Why is development important? is I said, You have the potential for less unnecessary suffering, if you want to put it that way. And you have the capacity and potential for more tools in your tool belt, more receptors for connecting with more of the world. And I know that sounds a little wishy washy and hippie ish, but I literally mean the higher stages of development hold within them higher capacities for interpersonal skills, higher capacities for moral reasoning, higher capacity potentially for cognition, perspective taking. And those kinds of skills sound like a much better fit to the complexity of our modern world than a simpler, more black and white, more binary shorter range of skills that some of the earlier stages, for example, rather than being abstract about it, do you want a 13-year-old running the country, a 25-year-old, or a 50-year-old? Assuming that they had actually been maturing and developing over time. Um, There is that, like, Little bit of rebellious part of me, it's like, yeah, screw the old people. We don't want the old guy, you want someone younger. But you want someone who is more complex, having more responsibility, I guess is the way to think of it. And being on this planet, if you're living in a <laughs> an impactful way, requires responsibility. And somebody who has more well-developed tools is more adequate for that job perhaps. So that's addressing my attempt to address why higher stages are more desirable. Does that mean there's a target where it's like everyone has to hit this? Not necessarily, but I think schools need to address how we hinder development and how can we maximize our ability to foster. What is a biological capacity within us to develop
1: well two things there and I, I generally i'm on board with with pretty much everything you've said, and we've had those conversations before, but the first kind of thing is having a higher stage of development will only bring you less suffering if you're in a place that where the average level of development is similar. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah. So I used that line a few minutes ago of center of gravity. And the idea is if you're below that center of gravity, you receive the benefits of that system, that culture, that structure around you that will pull you up to that stage of development. So for example, if you're in a country that has laws, and a social order, if you're not acting in accordance with that, that society through social pressure, through legal pressure, will put the pressure on you to develop up to that level of, hey, we have laws in this country, which is essentially every country in the world now, but you know, there was a time where that wasn't the case. However, once you start to go above that center of gravity, you start to feel that gravity pull you back down as well. Mm. And I think as teachers, we can see this, where if you're a teacher in a very ambition-centered school and you start trying to implement more of a sensitivity approach, each of these value systems or stages almost have their own immune system. And it will be skeptical of you bringing in that next stage of sensitivity and go, okay, I'm willing to take this on board if it better serves our achievement objectives. But as soon as you're bringing something that's not actually serving achievement and is serving something else, we don't have place for you and we're going to use that same social pressure, systems, norms, procedures to bring you back down to the ambition stage.
1: And this is this is a really important point because when we say that you could, that you will stop developing at the level the people are around you. That is not necessarily a bad thing in the short term. But ideally what you would you would look for a context or a place where you can develop if you think the place around you is not going to develop you or the school you're in. And some parents make these conscious decisions and we'll get to Joran of course, this one that that example jumps out but this school is not not serving my needs developmentally this institution this place this country this city and that's the classic tale of going finding yourself finding a new place and finding a new context and um we now both of us are in a very different context than we were a year ago and um We won't get too much into the details of that now, but that has highlighted this. So going into those new contexts, our development mindset has, or our aim to be developmentally minded has brought us new challenges because the contexts we've stepped into uh, maybe aren't necessarily at that same kind of place. They aren't at that same place. And so... um, yeah, I'm rambling We're a little feeling bit that
0: here. center of gravity, trying to bring us back more into what the context is.
1: It's kind of that. It's kind of like, I'm just, I'm trying not to say that over and over again, but it's kind of a key point that this, this school system, as we try to build developmentally minded schools, or if you're a hacker inside a school, the culture of the school will absolutely determine how, these practices are received. And I keep saying this kind of line because it's, it's, I really think it is truth that, you know, um, culture eats practice. So it's mean? a business culture. It's a business strategy, culture, eats strategy, a uh, culture, eats practice or culture, eats strategy is another way to say it. So I bring a new practice or a new strategy into an environment where the It's not the right place for it. Contextually, it's not right. And this is within all institutions. You bring some new ideas in. Sometimes they're just, it's the right time and the right place and they boom, they set off and they spread like wildfire through the institution, but far, far more commonly bring in a new practice and it tanks or it bombs or it is very badly received because the culture of the school the way that the people the culture of the place the way that, they, that we interact naturally at this at that time it just doesn't gel with that with that new strategy or that new idea and so it, the it will just be ripped apart it will be ignored or destroyed and um so this is
0: i think our ultimate narrative we're trying to push in this podcast is this idea that what we're calling education, we're using one word for it, is actually at least these three different values in a tug of war, in a battle for what practices education should embody. And we're seeing self-discipline, ambition, and sensitivity fight it out over how we define education. And each three of these has very different ideas about the practices the procedures, the kind of culture, the kind of beliefs about a teacher, kind of beliefs about a student, what is meaningful work or just what is the work within a school, we're seeing this battle play out. And what we're seeing is like a fight between these centers of gravities. We're seeing the fight between each of them trying to pull the universe of education back to itself and say, no, 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 you do things like this. But because all three are on the, on the playing field right now, It's not going to equal out and who knows, there may be one that comes out as dominant, but I think the game is way too complex at this point for a winner take all. And development brings in the narrative to point out, hey, we've got a developmental stage to explain this. There seems to be three different stages fighting over what education is right now. Here's our take on this. And I know we'll get to this in much more detail later, but the developmental model, the developmental stage of school can take a step back from this game, can take a step back from this tug of war and seeing these three very different games happening on the same field and can say, hey, all three of you have something to bring to the table. All three of you are doing something right that all three of you have huge blind spots and all three of you have huge drawbacks. And from this developmental perspective, because we can articulate or see these things, we can say, all right, I'm going to take the best stuff from self-discipline, but leave all this junk over here. I'm going to take the best from the achievement approach and cut out all this garbage. I'm going to take the best from sensitivity and get rid of the rest of this and just keep the pearls or the, the huge jewels, the wisdom that each of these three have brought out. Um, and I think in that sense, hopefully, that's an example of not denigrating these previous stages by us self-proclaiming <laughs> that, ah, yeah, we're at this developmental stage for sure, but seeing, going back and seeing the benefits of each rather than getting in another fight. And this is, I think, the key difference between developmental schools within this concept of the developmental models is we're not bringing another game onto the field and we're not trying to be another person pulling at the rope. We want to step back and say, hey, do you notice there's three different things going on here? Mm -hmm. We don't want to be the fourth party. We don't want to get into a, a tug of war as well, although I guess secretly we are kind of with our center of gravity. But we're saying we don't want to get we don't want to add another combatant in this. Can we offer a tool to help maybe balance and draw from
1: your strengths? So if you're, if you're trying to work out, like, I am mean, speaking to somebody in education, if they had or were approaching a developmental mindset, the key question would be, and I've asked this to kind of a lot of people in different ways, is, to what extent do you agree that there are three or four clear different mindsets going on in education right now and then if the answer is okay yeah i agree i accept that there's three there, there i agree with your definition then the next step would be okay if, if each of them has healthy and unhealthy parts or versions how can we build an institution that Takes the healthy part of all of these, and and this is something Armin. When we get to to his description of teaching and learning, how can we then be explicit about matching those best parts, those healthiest parts, to the needs of individual students at certain times in their uh, kind of learning journey or school life? Um, so I think maybe that's a good time to jump into R B, B, which I I came up with a whole bunch of different titles, but do you want to wrap up part A first or are you you ready to move on? Yeah. Two
0: quick things. Um, And I do still want to get to this idea of people who might say, yeah, but we're already doing this. Yeah. One point, again, just to make from this stages model is most... Stage conceptions, most stage models have the belief that the only reason the next stage emerges is because it's answering the deficits of the previous stage. And I forget, I know the quote I think has been misquoted as being from Einstein, but you can't solve problems on the same level of consciousness that created them. The idea that the next stage emerges because it has answers to what the previous stage can't solve or negotiate. And over the 200 or so years of public education, we first had a self-discipline approach that over time eventually real, like, revealed its shortcomings. And the, um, the ambition approach emerged out of that to solve the problems that the self-discipline approach wasn't solving.
1: And yeah, now, such a lack of freedom and flexibility in that offered. And merit, but, you know, the acknowledgement of merit. The acknowledge of a meritocracy or you can be better than somebody else or even better than yourself that the idea of um a, a truth that maybe lies outside what is um accepted from authority from the king so sure yeah. and we i would happily
0: go through like 50 other examples right now but we'll cap it maybe yeah. there i just
1: wanted to jump in a couple drop in a couple there for people who maybe hadn't listened to the earlier episodes that so we have a full episode on each of these kind of uh, uh paradigms these stages and we go through in in great depth how they emerged and and some reasons why we moved on to the next step but yeah sorry yeah. please continue
0: and then basically ambition eventually this mark centric achievement centric you know theoretical meritocracy eventually has revealed its shortcomings and we're seeing that more so i think now than ever with criticisms of education as education is largely rooted in this ambition paradigm and we're seeing the emergence of more and more of this sensitivity value in schools everywhere you know it started mm. in a few key places but sensitivity is trickling through the entire system because
1: it's solving the problems that ambition that ambition stage couldn't solve key points in sensitivity schools are things such as differentiation inclusion and this solved the earlier problem of everybody takes the same test everybody has the same curriculum and so we're kind of trying to work our way through that and and also an ambition based system that only measures things that are easy to measure and i think yeah. then we moved to the sensitivity system it was like well there's so many things that are much harder to measure um, and then i guess what we'll say is one of our criticisms of the sensitivity system was that there's so much more we can measure but we kind of don't really want to measure things because measuring is what the ambition guys did and we're kicking back against them and so there's these kind of feedback loops as well. and 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 so it's, it gets pretty complicated, but
0: yeah, my main point here is that each stage that comes next attempts to answer some questions and problems that the previous stage couldn't. Mm-hmm. and i'm I think we are saying that this developmental stage of educational development is now solving the problems that sensitivity has brought to the table new problems that weren't there previously. Sensitivity has brought forth problems that were not present in education 50 years ago, 200 years ago. Or you could say they were problems, but we weren't articulating them as problems.
1: So They all, weren't on the radar of problems. They weren't on the radar. Were, yeah, they weren't on the radar. They, so as you solve um, some problems, and a lot of these kind of problems are... I was chipping away at this idea of, I guess, the idea of moving up Maslow's hierarchy towards self-actualization. And so there was very little in the blue um, self-discipline paradigm. And as we moved into the ambition, that idea of self-actualization or being more, being uh, individually driven and flourishing became slightly more key. And then they loosened up again with the, The sensitivity paradigm and then development puts it front and center Mm -hmm. it says actually no this is the uh, this is the key this is the core
0: this is why we would do any of this
1: yeah school and wider life
0: yeah so for people who might say yeah but you know i'm i'm imagining one or two folks from back in canada saying like yeah but our school is already set up this way we do a lot of Mm play-based stuff in kindergarten A lot of hands-on stuff in primary. Then we switch them over to the more abstract because the brain's ready for more abstract. You know, grade six, grade seven. All true, yeah. When you hit 12, 13. Which objectively is true. Mm. But I would argue that, okay, we go from play-based to hands-on stuff to 30 kids now back at their desks again, spending the majority of their time listening to a lecture and taking notes for the next 10 years is that it is true that that reflects the 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 coming online of abstract thinking and less potentially less needs for hands-on education but is that actually a setup to best serve that stage of development is magically putting everyone at desks and reverting back to kind of handouts is that actually what's serving that abstract thinking as it comes online and my well, obvious answer actually, is no
1: yeah but i i think that it's only a developmental mindset that would start asking the questions of um are we really developing students to uh to reach their potentials in in all ways that question has just never been asked before and i actually think that schools are set up like that for a totally different reason. I just think you can't make a three-year-old sit down and write. And it's very hard to make a six-year-old do it. It's easier at nine. It's much easier at 15. And I think it's as simple as that. I think it was just, how quickly can we get them sat at their desk writing? And it's like, it's just too hard with the little ones. And that's a somewhat cynical kind of take on it. And it's way more complex than that. But I also think, that it's only recently that the question has been, is this the best way to develop these students? It was more just, this was the, this is the easiest way to kind of get them to eventually um, pass out of school, either through testing or earlier than that, just because you finished the number of days you had to go to school. Um, so but I think it's, that question now is in these developmental schools and developmentally minded teachers and leadership are asking that question so that's a different question and um, so I think the key again to ask yourself as an educator ask myself is like am I doing this action or setting up this system because developing students holistically across um, in all ways is the goal. And that will then serve them in society as citizens. It will serve society as as a whole. So development clearly has its own agenda and its own state of mind, but it does not dismiss the other three in the way that the other threes potentially do. Mm-hmm. So and it's... Um, last point from me on that. Potentially another last point. point.
0: Another last point. An- another last point. The final, the final Who tour. The final tour of the band The Who. Um, mm-hmm. My last point here is... I think that is a trait, and this this will this is an oversimplification, but I think it's more true than not true. Educators at those three first stages of educational development, self-discipline, ambition, sensitivity, if you're not in their boat, if you're not at their stage, there isn't that nuance or those shades of gray. It's kind of, you're either with me or you're not. So someone in ambition, who's mark-centric, achievement-centric, looks at the previous stage, self-development, but it doesn't see a previous stage. It sees something that's wrong. It's not serving marks. Mm. And it looks up to sensitivity, not as a next stage, but it sees it as ultimately not serving marks. It kind of does some other stuff, but it's not. It doesn't have marks and achievement and merit front and center. So it's also wrong. So it's it's not as good. It's It's not as good. Yeah, it's not as good. It's binary. Self-discipline sees itself as right and sees achievement and sensitivity as wrong. Ambition sees itself as right and sees the other two as wrong. Sensitivity sees itself right and sees those previous two as wrong. And I think that's the developmental linchpin to go back to your point of if you see someone who's in the sensitivity mindset already and maybe dipping into that developmental and you ask them, hey, can you see these three? When you point out, they would probably say, yeah, yeah, I, I can. Um, but I think until you move out of that idea that and something that's not already in alignment with my ideals is wrong. You're still back in sensitivity and not yet into that developmental model. And I'm partly copying that just off the spiral dynamic stage model, which basically says up to this kind of teal yellow integral stage, you see your stage of development as the ultimate one. And all other stages below or above have something wrong with them. And this developmental stage is the first one to map them out, map out these stages and go, oh, no, like everybody's got something worth bringing to the table here. And I think to me, that's like true diversity is like, there's a wide range of stuff. Each of these is figuring out and is doing really well. And Mm. there's stuff. Each of these is really screwing up.
1: And importantly, it doesn't mean everything's right. Everything's equally good, which is, um, one of the criticisms, I guess, of someone who maybe, maybe doesn't fully understand that developmental mindset that, uh, oh, well, this just means that every single answer is equally uh, valid. Well, no, this is the developmental stage. That could be a criticism of the sensitivity stage of deconstructivism and this, uh, you know, what is sometimes described as a nihilistic kind of postmodern kind of like view of things where every single thing has so many multiple options and varieties and every single one of them has value or even the same value. Now that mindset really doesn't exist in the real world in any way I've come across it, but theoretically it's there. The development mindset would say, no, some things are better than others in certain contexts. Some things are more right and fit better in certain contexts. Um, But one one final, last final, very final, (laughs) fifth final point, is that just because you have got to the point where you can see the framework or you believe that the framework exists, because it's a belief system at at its core. It's a belief system.
0: um, I might also just use the word tool. Like this is a helpful tool to process what's going on
1: around you. You still have your habits. So this is the conscious, being conscious of the different paradigms and how they're working out in front of you and what's healthy and unhealthy as a response and moving away from your habits and your instant responses that could be less healthy is still um, a challenge. So I can see the framework. That doesn't mean every every single thing I say and do is the healthiest thing I could do in that moment. By, by no means i don't know what the healthiest thing is and, and and even if i did maybe i'm not doing it right now for whatever reason I haven't had enough coffee or I'm just i'm just a dick generally you know who knows
0: yeah seeing a map isn't the same as being a master of the territory within the map i think yeah. what we're presenting is a map you can lay onto the complexity of education and simplify it into these kind of categories to make it a little bit more digestible and functional for how you interact with people. And as the closing note on your encore of this final tour, I would just cap off what you're saying by bringing the heart into this of like, if you do use this map, it can really build up a lot more empathy and compassion, uh, and just care, shared understanding by like seeing like okay, we're not on the same stage, perhaps uh, we might have different values, and there are things we will definitely disagree on about approaches and practices and education. But I, I don't have to see you as wrong now. A couple of years ago, I speaking from my own personal experience, I can see where I was more in that sensitivity value maybe in my first few years in education, and I saw the others as wrong. And it was like, no, you guys are <laughs> being unsensitive jerks to these students in the class by putting all this focus on, you know, marks and blah, 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 like the students' well-being and, and sense of importance is the most important thing. And anyone who's not doing that is wrong. And I can see in the last 10 years over my personal stage development potentially, and just development as a teacher who's into this I can see now that they're like oh no I get that I was doing that too and now and you're talking and now when I speak to someone from self-discipline or ambition or sensitivity I my heart can kind of open up to be like ah oh, yeah no I, I I at least have a taste or at least know the ingredients of what matters to you and not in a manipulative way but I'm I want to speak to that And I want to get that that's where you're coming from and not make that wrong. But be able to interact with you in in a mutually beneficial way.
1: Mm. And and to be clear, you were were judging their mindset. Because there are still clearly some very unhealthy and wrong actions done there. Yeah, but we're not saying like individual actions. Of course, there are really terrible things you can do from any mindset. Yes, we're just talking about the mindset as a whole. the The sensitivity paradigm would probably see the self discipline paradigm in its entirety as wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas the development mindset would say no there are benefits to each of these mindsets (laughs) yet if you do this horrific action no matter what your mind says it's a horrible unhealthy action thanks for that nuance yeah that level yeah okay so that was a that was a nice big long chat there Rob. because that's probably the first time we've really just moved away from schools generally and just gone well hold on what's this thing about we could obviously go on for uh, for much longer and dig into some of your work as a as an integral coach, which brings in more of these tools but we've decided to go with this stage model as one of our tools so the next section I just originally just put it as schools meaning the institution of schools but clearly what we mean is Developmental schools, like the institution of developmental schools, because we're more or less describing schools that are already at or trying to be developmental. In many cases, all of course, to Katerina she talked about a lot of schools that were moving out of uh, self-discipline into ambition. But most of the other kind of conversations we had, and even Katerina's obvious her her own mindset and the way she does her practices was developmentally minded but so I kind of tinkered with the words I don't know if you've seen this since I did this but the first little mini section here was like how schools should move towards being developmentally minded so a lot of people talked about what they're doing in their schools and kind of what what a school should do to be a developmentally minded school across the institution one of the subsections of that was this idea of being responsive to needs and how uh, say Chris's school or Armin's school or how Silka would introduce um, a response to the learner's needs and then the, the third little subsection was this idea of moving towards a horizontal or a more uh, community type of leadership, which is something we've talked about a little bit, and obviously the podcast being titled Reinvention Education" is kind of related to reinventing organisations. The the Frederick Laloux book that you um, you introduced me to. So I guess we can touch on those three little areas, starting with. Just what is a developmental school in the bigger picture?
0: So, if you're familiar with Frederick Laloux's book "Develop," um, sorry, "Reinventing Organizations," this is, I think, the first semi-pop culture um, reference to this idea of the development value integral thinking developmental education. And the idea is that organizations themselves can kind of operate from the same three or four stages that we're kind of using to look at education through. So you can have a very self-discipline, or if you're into Spiral Dynamics, Blue, if you're into Frederick Lallou's Reinventing Organizations, uh, Amber Organization. And that affects every aspect of what you do it affects how the systems are set up it affects the kind of social norms that are there it affects the practices and it affects the individual personal beliefs of the individuals within that organization and to go back to what we were talking about earlier in our talk the center of gravity of a culture and of an organization acts as the immune system and either pulls people up to it or pulls people back down to it. When looking at schools, the school itself is operating from one of these value systems. There are definitely self-discipline level operating schools. There are ambition level schools there's sensitivity level schools and I mean that on in every aspect it's literally like putting a colored set of glasses on and everything you see has to get processed through that so this includes every level from the organization of the hierarchy or power structure the how you move up or down that structure how we look at assessment how we look at what the roles and responsibilities of a student are, what the roles and responsibilities of a teacher is, what the roles and responsibilities of administration are. I think both you and I now have had experience in working at in schools that have at least been in these first two stages of the self-discipline or ambition schools. And even as a teacher, you have very different experiences as a teacher functioning in these systems. Hmm. It's like entering a completely different universe. It's not the same. It's not just school. Everything about it is different on every level, and this continues up to this idea of a developmental school. Um, because the actual school, as an institution itself, will have its own unique set of systems, of procedures, protocols, behaviors, practices, of cultural norms that wouldn't be present at the previous ones, or if they are present, are present for a different reason, and beliefs. Let me go back and say that for all all of those parts. In a developmental school, you will see practices that may have existed at previous stages, but they're happening for different reasons. And you're going to see new systems, practices, cultural norms, beliefs that haven't been reflected in those previous stages.
1: Yeah. Um, and of course, we we have our episodes in the first kind of season where we plotted out what those schools would look like. But looking just at the structure of the school and the underlining beliefs of this school as an institution, I guess one of the lines that Chris said about the millennium school was they design and people may not like this language because I'm not sure if I was on board a hundred percent with this term, but I, I know what he, I know what he means and I, I kind of, I think it's the best term for it, but a, a school is a container for students that is not restrictive. And They can figure out more of who they are. So that's the kind of starting point or their, part of their mission i guess but this idea of a, of a container of students not meaning to contain so much but they, of course they have to be there on some level but this idea of a space a sandbox a place that is not restrictive and you can figure out more about who you are now that sentence is just developmental mindset with the word school in it and so it's kind of like the question is how much would a person Agree with that, and that's. I think that would be a good. That would be a good indicator if, as to where you were in in relation to developmental schools. So if you hear that sentence and you're like, "Whoa, what the hell does that mean? Where they going to get their, their their test scores from, or whatever? Or how are we going to make sure A, B, or C happens?" It's like, I think that's more kind of like a litmus test almost for how you. Would go into these schools. I I feel my own like frustration
0: of trying to like articulate some of the specifics of like what this looks like in our kind of three categories of you know how should a school move towards being a developmental centered institution? Um, you know what about the community, the learners' needs? Um, what's the organizational leadership structure like? I think again, there's this shift from those first three stages and then once you enter this developmental stage there's like a new game that starts and i think the difference is that the previous three stages again this is an oversimplification but i think it's more true than incorrect those first three kind of have a one-size-fits-all model for how you do this self-discipline rolled itself out all across prussia and then essentially the world literally following like the same timetables, subjects, curriculum, resources. Very few moving parts. Very Very, few
1: moving parts within that.
0: Very few moving parts. And you took this template, you used it in Prussia. It found its way to Britain. It found its way to Asia. It found its way to America. It was pretty much essentially the same thing all over the entire world. Obviously, with some differences, but the fundamental pieces or like software were the same everywhere it went. The ambition model, of course, schools worldwide at the ambition model have their own approach to how you get the best test results. But ultimately, what they share in common is whatever we're doing in here serves, in theory, serves marks, serves the finding and establishing and awarding of merit, um, feedback, all these mm. kinds of things. Where it
1: doesn't, where it doesn't, is when you start to see parts of the uh, sensitivity emerge. So a person who takes an umbrage with that statement, if you look at the parts of your school that doesn't serve the tests or the, uh, the, the, the academic steps towards the next uh, certificate or goal, those may just be the parts of your school that are starting to develop sensitivity uh, elements. Certainly.
0: And at that ambition stage, this is where you see programs emerge. Whereas at self-discipline, you kind of had one-size-fits-all schooling that works for everybody. All of a sudden, ambition, you do have a diversity and things look different, but you have the programs that spread out. Here's our program for how to most effectively teach math. Here is our program for how to most effectively teach phonics. Here's our program. And like subjects can get broken down into parts already where we say, no, no, we've got a different program for spelling and a different program for reading and a program for writing. And it's the programs that kind of go viral and spread Hmm. in theory based on which one has the best merits and which ones get the best results for schools, yet there's still an element of one size fits all kind of saying, it doesn't really matter who your kids are. It doesn't really matter where you are. You do this program in Hong Kong or Belgium or rural Canada and you're gonna get these results independent of who the kids are. Well, to
1: the extent that the story that keeps popping up in British schools is going to Singapore or to China to see what they're doing because PISA, the, the worldwide kind of, um, the, the only kind of institution right now that is collecting data worldwide on on students is showing certain countries. So Finland and um, parts of China, basically only the big cities, but and, and Singapore. And it's like the question is what can we do that they are doing to get better scores? and, they don't work invariably because of context, but but the aim is if we take their program and put it here, we will get better scores. And the underlying thing being that better scores are the, the best thing aim. we can have. It's the ultimate goal. Yeah, it's the yeah.
0: yeah, and yeah. There's a there's a desire desire for things to be replicable at that ambition stage. And you see entire programs like you can bring in the Cambridge curriculum, even if your school is not in England, you you know, your school can implement an entire curriculum or whatever that has been proven to best set up your kids for later stages of schooling and the job market and, and Cambridge exams or Oxford exams or any other exams that will be great for your child when they're applying to university or, or something like that. And there's this idea that it's, one size fits all, but on the program level at ambition. And then with sensitivity, you still have one size fits all things. And I think both you and I have tons of praise for the IB, the International Baccalaureate System, which from our discussions, for all intents and purposes, is the best embodiment of this sensitivity value done pretty thoroughly and pretty effectively within education. Um, It's still definitely draws from the ambition system it's trying to meet the hey we still need to mark things and give grades values but to some degree yeah but you can go to an ib school anywhere in the world and that's one of the appeals of it hey mm-hmm. you're you're working in brussels for a little while there's a few ib schools here don't worry you're moving to new york next year your kid's going to transfer seamlessly into the ib school yeah. there yeah because it's one size fits all and no matter where you go in the world it's going to be the same thing the huge difference once you leave those first three values into development.
1: Well, let me pause you there for a second if I can, because I, yeah. I, I want to just dig in a little more into how sensitivity is a one-size-fits-all, because I will give it to you that an IB program is more sensitivity needs oriented in many ways with inquiry-based learning, and there's a lot of differentiation openness, and, and actually a lot of their documentation start it's starting to push towards a developmental mindset. And I'd like to have more of a discussion on that at some point where, they, where the IB, especially in the prime years program that I work in, is moving in some areas towards this. And in other ways, is doubling down on um, ambition or even sensitivity to, to remain relevant within certain markets. But on the surface of it, Sensitivity doesn't look like one-size-fits-all because now differentiation's been introduced. We're deconstructing the curriculum. And I haven't thought of an answer to this question, but do you really think that sensitivity-led schools in this sense? Not that we have many that are really sensitivity-led, but let's think of the ones that are most sensitivity-led. Do you really think they are still one size fits all?
0: Well, I look to the first two examples that come to mind are my own experience from teaching in Ontario, which arguably Ontario, Canada was largely moving towards the sensitivity value of mm. differentiation was at the core of what you do. It, essentially, if you're teaching the same thing to everybody in the class, that's now wrong. There's something you are not doing right now as a teacher. There's no way all those kids need the same thing from you. Put them into groups by ability level. Meet them where they're at at their zone of proximal development. On top of that, um, you were seeing a move towards a more deconstructed curriculum, away from specific capacities towards more generalized skills. Um, but even in that context, and, and I'm not like it's an it's an impossible situation because of course. As soon as you try to expand it beyond one school, I can default to the argument of like, oh, it's one size fits all. And I'm not trying to be nihilistic or, or just use this to, to make my argument. But essentially, it was those same skills province-wide and mirrored in other provinces across Canada. So there is this idea of let's replicate what we're doing so that whether it's downtown Toronto or rural town of 500 people that doesn't matter what matters the most is these core values these things are what are being taught so that the kid in to Toronto and Northern Ontario they get the same
1: thing to some degree but I think it was Armin who kind of in the way they differentiate in their school kind of point uh, made this a little more clear for me, and I do agree on some on some extent that sensitivity is still a one size fits all because here's what he said and the way he differentiates, and again, we'll come back to this, and I'm guessing this is going to be in the second part because we're going to wrap up very soon, but they this blew my mind because they differentiate within the same class with potentially the same Tasks, maybe maybe levels of tasks, but essentially the same task. They differentiate on what type of learner you are. I am a self-disciplined learner. I need you to be strict with me. I need you to give me clear um, a clear set of steps that I will follow. Or I'm more ambitious. I, I want to work with other people and collaborate a little bit and have some freedom but I still want a, a set of criteria on, on how I can achieve and win this kind of like project. And you have the sensitivity kind of person who's like, I, I want to work by myself and collaborate as and when needed, but I want to have a project that's mine and I want to set it out and have this independence and work through it for my own development to some degree. But it's like, those are. The the three kind of like systems and then the development system would say those are all one size fits all because you can just slot yourself into any of those three like I've got a project that I'm unfolding myself or I've got a project that's clear criteria for success probably set by somebody else or I just have a clear set of steps and rules and so those kind of just exist those three kind of frameworks. And I guess what Armin's doing is saying that you want to decide which of those three is best for you at this time. We're not adding another one. We don't have one for development that says, this is how you do it. There are those three models that we know right now, and you choose the best one for yourself in context.
0: Yeah. And this is the reoccurring theme, I think, of the developmental stage where we're saying, We're not bringing a new tool to the workbench. We're bringing a tool belt. We're taking those three previous stages and holding them as tools that might be the best tool at different times. Not a hammer is what we use at all times, no matter what. And you and I, we've often used the analogy of like three dials. So when do you turn up the self discipline? When do you turn it down? When do you turn up? And mix some ambition with sensitivity. And then when you pull one of those out, it allows more flexibility and fluidity. And I, and this is that, I think, monu- I keep doing this weird little face and hand gesture on the screen as I'm trying to say this, but there's this monumental jump that happens between these first three stages and the development stage of, sure, there will be parts of this that can be replicated somewhere else, or you could try some of this for sure. But this institution of the school is a self organizing entity. And I think the alternative university in Romania is a fantastic example of that. Yeah. Where that, like, that to me sounded less like a school and more like an organism. It had, like, living, breathing, evolving parts essentially of. You know, over the years, your role in the school actually shifts from that of kind of student receiving some input and receiving support. But the longer you're in it, you shift into the role of leadership and then being the one providing that support, guidance, and promotion of inquiry with the next people. And that's a, like that structure is completely different than a sensitivity, ambition, or self-discipline structure. So it has its own unique structure, but what they're doing in Romania isn't what would work in San Francisco or Japan. It might, but it's saying, hey, there are maybe a few principles of how to organize your system or structure, but not the specifics of how you organize the structure itself.
1: What I I would say there is, this is probably a good time to leave it because in the next kind of talk, we then can get into what these schools are doing, such as the structure of the Romanian system and its, its, its benefits and, and, and potentially how it supports in a different way. And so, I think that in itself, you know, comparing how the millennium school and and, and the integral uh, Targa school and, and the Romanian alternative um, university, alternative university organizes and structures themselves. And they all touched on this idea of horizontal or passing over leadership to staff and to students and the, pitfalls and the challenges and the successes in doing that and it's a big discussion and and i think if we wrap this up now and we get into that in the next one i think that'd be a really interesting place to start yeah can we do
0: our sentences for these three things in closing here so about the beliefs on how schools should move towards being a developmental centered institution so development schools believe you move towards being a developmental centered institution by
1: th- well I would say I would say I'm gonna jump in and put a cliffhanger in here because I think until we've really dug into how those three schools in particular organize themselves, I would say I, I'm not I'm not ready to sum that up. Yeah. I think the the institutional organization, I think we got a, we've got a, a nice meaty, a nice meaty topic there to get our teeth into. Um, I mean, we've obviously listened to the, uh, uh, the interviews and I've got some idea and I could g- I could give a sentence. Um, and I, I'm sure our sentences will be decent, but I would I'm, Gonna suggest we hang on to those sentences until we've had more of a discussion on how those schools are currently doing it
0: and comparing them side by side and
1: comparing them and and talking about the the challenges and successes that they raised themselves because uh, yeah especially the guys at the Romanian university they give some really good examples of what worked and changes they needed to make to to kind of foster this horizontal organizational system.
0: What a great trump card, Brendan, to say I want to go more into depth. I don't want to do my homework. Let's get out of doing the work now. Great trump card. I like it. That's right. All right, wisdom man.
1: So where do we go? Shall from here? we? So I, I say we we um, we are say our goodbyes, and that's it. Last episode. We never come back. <laughs> leave them hanging. Leave those people hanging. Infinite no, cliff. No, we um, we come we 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 come back in a week or so, and we pick up with this institutional development, and then we dig back. Further into those other sections of teaching and learning in the wider community, and um, I think that discussion today was really important to set up a lot of context because that human development uh, the the idea of the stage model of human development being at the very core is something that 's been running through all of the episodes so far, and i don 't think we 've addressed it directly yet so obviously we repeated a few things that people will have got if they've listened to all the earlier episodes. But I think there's a lot of stuff there that we tied together that we haven't said before. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think it was...
0: Yeah, and I think this is the piece that we've needed to bring into our story of fleshing out to some degree, more specifically what we mean by development and talking about how... That idea influences what a school is. So our next discussion Mm. can get more down to those nuts and bolts of, here are examples of that developmental value embodied in schools. And when it is, here's what those practices look like, here's what those communities are like, here's what the systems look like, and here's how they're different than the three previous stages, and where they are similar, here's why they're doing those things but here's why here's how they're being done differently because there's a different intention behind them. rock on brennan o'leary thank you thanks very much rob if this episode of reinventing education was insightful or useful to you feel free to reach out and connect to us on social media We'd enjoy having your perspective join the conversation about what reinventing education might look like. Feel free to find us on our Facebook page, Reinventing Education Podcast, and join the discussions there. From Brendan and myself, thanks for joining us.